0: Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of Boss Builder Podcast is brought to you by Boss Builders University. Now, if you are a manager, someone who's new to the role, someone who's in the role and struggling, or even somebody who thinks they might be making that transition to manager one day, training is gonna be really important to you. Our Boss Builders University offers you the opportunity to learn on demand in interactive video sessions done by me, to give you the knowledge and skills to be able to do that job well. You will absolutely fail if you don't spend the time and effort to get yourself some skills to make you effective. For more information, check us out at bossbuildersuniversity.com. As the boss, especially if you are a female boss, you probably realize that negotiation is a key skill. Now, our guest today is Donna Hughes. She is the founder of Launch Negotiation, And she's going to be talking to us about negotiation. Now, I originally had her on the show for our sister station, which is HR Oxygen. But after listening to the interview, I thought it would be important for this audience too, especially, again, especially if you are a woman. Donna is going to talk to us about the definition of negotiation. She's going to talk to us about why it's important to negotiate. She's even going to cover topics like getting a seat at the table and Most importantly, maybe, salary negotiations so you can really get what you're worth. Lots of practical, actionable strategies here. I know you're going to enjoy it. She was a lot of fun to chat with. So why don't we quit talking about her? Let's talk to her. You know what to do. Buckle that seatbelt. It's time to hit the road.
1: Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast.
0: Donna Hughes, welcome to the show. Hi, Mac. It's really a privilege to have you, and from the sound of your voice, you must be coming to us today from South America, right?
1: (laughs) You know what? I get called all different things, but uh, I'm, I'm English, but I'm coming to you from Canada.
0: That's right. Yeah, you have a very interesting journey, and I want to find out about it. The topic today is going to be around negotiation, and if you are listening to this today the HR professional who oftentimes has to fight to get themselves to the table, Donna's going to give us some techniques today that will help you be able to do that even more effectively. And please listen all the way to the end because she's got a very special offer to tell you about some training that she's doing. So Donna, let's find out about you. Tell us about your journey and go way back and then tell us how you got started in negotiation.
1: Okay. Okay. So, you know, going back to the beginning of my journey. So I I studied business management at university, and then I went on to qualify as a chartered management accountant and spent a decade working in supply chain management in the energy sector in London, in England. And then fast forward all the way through to autumn, 2018, and I relocated to Canada And this was the time that I I found the courage to pursue my lifelong dream, something that I'd dreamt of for over 15 years, but hadn't quite had the courage to, to go for. And I started my own business, which was focused on empowering others, which is launch negotiation. So during my time in the energy sector, I trained in negotiation, but I never really saw myself as a negotiator. I didn't relate with the the dominant portrayal of what a negotiator looks like. Certainly growing up, I'm sure many listeners can relate that you're often told that being sensitive to others' needs and showing empathy will be a barrier to your effectiveness as a leader. Unfortunately, through negotiation, I found that wasn't the case. I found that my emotional intelligence was one of the greatest assets that I had as a negotiator. And so as I found, you know, the course of studying and my career, whenever I had the opportunity to negotiate in competitions, in training, in in real life scenarios, I was able to excel by simply leveraging my emotional intelligence by using open communication, active listening and empathy to really understand the needs of the other party and in essence, cultivate a proposal that worked for both of us and generated sustainable value so even though i'd had been very successful in negotiations i still didn't you know classify myself as a negotiator but the the eureka moment came for me when i saw my niece a few years ago so she was only 3 years old at the time and she was negotiating with her parents for i think it was you know de- dessert before dinner And as I watched her more, I realized that she just embraced negotiation every single opportunity, whether it was a later bedtime, whether it was one extra book or five more minutes on the swing. I I had this eureka moment and I realized that as kids, we view life as negotiable and we embrace every opportunity to negotiate. But as, um, as we grow up and as we become adults, we, we, especially as women, we're deterred from asking. We're you know, told just to accept the offer and just say thank you. And you know, the, the dominant portrayal of a negotiator in the media tends to be this very aggressive, overly assertive approach. And this didn't really reconcile with how I negotiate and the success that I'd seen and i started to kind of immerse myself in the art and psychology of negotiation and realized that whilst this you know very aggressive and dominant approach in the media is certainly one type of negotiation approach it's by no means the most effective and you know as i reflected on the people that i'd worked with throughout my career and you know my failure to even see myself as a negotiator it was recognizing that it was so important to challenge the the common portrayal that you have to be aggressive to succeed. And it for me, you know, my, my venture with launch is really focusing on challenging the media assumption of what negotiation is and what a negotiator looks like and showing people that negotiation doesn't have to be an arm wrestle. Instead it can be an opportunity for collaboration. And that's really my, my focus of launch negotiation. It's, it's challenging how we view negotiation and showing people that you don't have to be the loudest voice in the room to be an effective negotiator. You know, In fact, quite the contrary is true. If you're a very good listener and you're able to apply active listening skills, that's going to be a phenomenal tool um, that you can leverage as a negotiator.
0: Now, you did some competition in, in negotiation, right?
1: I did. I did.
0: So tell us about that. I mean, I've heard of chess club before, but I've never (laughs) heard of like spelling bee or whatever. But so there's actually competitions for this?
1: There are. So it's really interesting. There's competitions all around the world, Um, but they tend to be reserved for people from law background is what I found. I, I must add at this stage, I have no law background. And I think, you know, that's one of the things I'm really... focused on emphasising. I don't believe you have to have this certain um, educational route, such as, um, you know, going down the procurement route or going down the lawyer route to be a negotiator. You know, I gave the example of my young niece that I really believe it's something innate that we have. And, you know, the skills that make you effective are skills that we all have and we can all build over time as well. Um, so there's there's lots of competitions out there. There tend to be all different levels of the organisation, but it does tend to be focused very much on those from a legal background. Um, but the competition I entered was based on some training that I'd done previously um, and that, that um, evolved into a competition. And I'd also done a competition at university as well, which was based on a, you know, a simulated negotiation.
0: Jeez. So at what age do you think, cause you mentioned your niece at what age do kids realize, okay, you know what? I'm not going to try to negotiate. I'm just going to do what I'm told. Do you think there's a standard age for that? I think
1: that's a really great question. I don't think there's a standard cutoff, but I think, you know, over time we are socialized, particularly, you know, women are socialized to to behave differently to men. And there's a really amazing book called Women Don't Ask by two pioneers in the field of negotiation, Linda Babcock and Sarah Lasheva. And the book's, you know, over a decade old now, but it really does a deep dive into how girls are socialized from a very young age um, to to not ask and and to just be grateful for the offer. And, you know, that that plays a a role in how we behave as adults. And I think it's really important, you know, we'll we'll touch on this later, but that we're aware of this kind of bias that we could potentially have. And we make sure that we take proactive action to to overcome this.
0: Well, I know it's a challenge for our audience. That's mostly, I would say, probably women. And one of the things I hear all the time is this propensity to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I mean, is that part of this whole thing that I should be grateful for what I have and I should not push the envelope? I'm sorry that I did this. I mean, is this all kind of tied together?
1: I I think you're completely right. Language is a huge part of negotiation in terms of, you know, I use the most effective language when you are putting a proposal on the table but you know even if you just go back to you know and they talk about this women don't ask but even if you just go back to the types of chores and pocket money that you get when you're younger and often you know for for young boys a lot of the the work will be outside of the household it might be you know washing the car or or doing something that's uh, more constructive in in in, you know an, an external setting and that's often paid work Whereas when it's, you know, within the house, it's often for girls. So if it's washing the dishes or doing the dishwasher, that's the work that's often uh, given to girls and it's less likely to be paid or rewarded because it's just part of the daily duties. Um, and you know, there's all these types of scenarios that they seem, you know, insignificant at the time. But if, uh, you know, going out for dinner, if the man always pays, for example, that again creates this kind of sense of okay, m- m- you know, men earn money and they pay, and women, you know, are um, the ones that are eating the food but they're not paying for it. And equally, when the you know a mother's serving and the the father's eating the dinner, again, it creates these roles um, and I think it's called gender schemas is how it's described of how a woman and a man should perform and this you know it's it's very intricate I really would recommend the book because it goes into a in such a deep dive but it's really important to recognize that we are socialized from a very young age to recognize that a lot of domestic work belongs to women and shouldn't be paid and so that ultimately you know compounds into when we do grow up as women um, we'd recognize and, and undervalue a lot of our work and conversely men are very much encouraged to display honest overconfidence and to, you know, really sing their own praises and say how brilliant they're doing because that's how they've been um, nurtured as well. So it's, it's important to recognize all the influences we have and also, you know, as managers, how that impacts how we see the men and women within our team and how we treat them.
0: Well, I'm, I'm a little concerned because I think those roles are reinforced, not just in the business world, but even outside, I guess it was a week or so ago, my in-laws came out and we were talking about purchasing a car. And so my wife is very much one who doesn't wait to be, you know, she's one that just goes out and and she's aggressive and assertive and she negotiates for everything. And we were, this was about five, six years ago, she was buying a car and the salesperson kept talking to me. I says, don't Mm -hmm. talk to me. I'm not buying. I have a car. I said, she's the one buying and he insisted. And finally she says, you know, we're done here. If you're not going to look at me like a valid buyer, so she went to the dealer right across the way and the difference was he, the the guy asked he says who's who's buying the car and mm-hmm. she said I am immediately he tuned me out mm-hmm. and you know it didn't take her but you know a couple hours and they reached a, an agreement and I was done it was very easy for me but I guess if you can bust through these I guess their stereotypes or expectations I think you'd be amazed at what you can accomplish, but it's going to be an uphill battle.
1: Well, exactly. And that's, you know, that example is something I think so many women can relate to as well, Mac. I know for myself, I can recall an instance where I was interviewing someone, I was a supply chain manager, and I was interviewing someone to come in and who would be reporting to me as a supply chain specialist. And I interviewed a man, And there were two women in the room, myself, um, my previous incumbent in the role and uh, the, the male HR manager. And the entire time during the interview, the, the person that I was interviewing, the, the gentleman, he was um, more senior than me in terms of age. And he wouldn't look me in the eye. And the HR manager, who was the man, had to say numerous times, Donna will be your, your manager. You'll be reporting to Donna. And his entire body language shifted and was focused on the man, the entire conversation. Even when I went out to greet him and you know introduce myself and bring into the meeting room, he refused to look me in the eye. He refused to acknowledge anything about my position and then he he even had the audacity at the end of the interview to ask if my position was available <laughs> 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 was assumed, you know, again, based on my age based on my gender that I, I mustn't be competent I mustn't possibly be as competent as he was in his, in his role and you know I, I think it is how we're how we're brought up but it's one of those things it's so dangerous if we have that bias and we're not aware of it because you know he left the room and I was just absolutely gobsmacked by his approach it was you know so humiliating humiliating for me to have someone not even talk to me or look me in the eye and then ask if my position was available um but uh you know thankfully my my HR manager was there at the time you know I've had a very good record at the company I'd, uh, you know smashed some uh, some savings targets and you know some efficiency targets so I was uh, riding very high in terms of my accomplishments there and it was just complete and utter disbelief at how disillusioned someone could be um and I think you know that example you gave and the one that I've gave a lot of women listening will be able to relate to that where you know if they've gone for a role they're assumed to um be the assistant they're not assumed to be the candidate and I think it's it's so important important. important that we start to raise awareness and have these conversations so that we can recognize our own bias and and, and correct our behaviors as a result.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, if you were, and I don't know how long this whole thing will last where there's this big gender disparity. I think it's sort of like, you may think it's gone. It's like when you watch those scary movies, you know, where the, they finally get the bad guy and he's down and it looks like he's dead. And then the person has to crawl up just to double check. And then his hand reaches up and grabs him. Uh, It may be like that, you know, there's a few pockets, but yeah, that's, it's really frustrating and frightening to hear that that still goes on, but all the more reason, I guess, why we should be more focused on negotiation, right?
1: Exactly. And it's, it's one of those things that, you know, with negotiation, the reason why it's so important to me is you don't get what you don't ask for. And, you know, I've touched on why, you know, as as young girls, we're we're socialized from a very young age not to ask, just to be grateful and say thank you. And, you know, it's the man's job to ask. And it's important that we recognize as managers as well that not only do we ask, but we recognize how when we're distributing out pay rises, when we're distributing out promotions or development opportunities, is that on the basis of the confidence who's asking us, or is that on the basis of competence? Because, you know, we've touched on that. There's this tendency to have honest overconfidence with men. And it's not saying that they're exaggerating because, and they know they're exaggerating, but it's, it's a tendency to say they are far more comfortable singing their own praises most of the time, as opposed to women. And it's important that we recognize, are we distributing these opportunities on the basis of who's asking them? for them assuming that because they're asking they must be the most competent candidate or are we taking a step back and saying you know what there's this really strong great potential female in my team but she's never asked for a development opportunity does that mean she doesn't want it or does it mean maybe this other factors in play maybe she doesn't realize how much she has to contribute maybe she doesn't have the confidence to step forward but she would actually be fantastic for this opportunity And I think it's, you know, it's recognising and challenging how we view negotiation. You don't have to be the most aggressive person. And hopefully that's come across in the conversation so far. I'm not aggressive by any means, but I'm a very effective negotiator because I have emotional intelligence and I'm able to leverage that to to build relationships with the person on the other side of the table and create a solution that works for both of us. So I think it's, it's important to not only lead by example and negotiate ourselves, but also think about. As managers, how are we distributing these opportunities and are we just, you know, handing them out to the person that asks or are we handing them out to the most competent person?
0: Well, I guess it's just a matter of almost relearning your whole approach to dealing with other people. And I'm glad you mentioned empathy because I think that's, you know, the building blocks of that. There's a lot of that is self-awareness. And I think that's going to be key for all of us. You know, how, how come I feel uncomfortable? asking for a raise or asking to be considered. And uh, you know there's a process for that. But you've given us a picture of negotiation. And I'm visualizing this as you were talking about the person who's aggressive. And I guess Mm. I'll just fit into the gender stereotypes. (laughs) This is a middle-aged bald man with a big old cigar and thumping his fist on the table. And that's how, when I think of negotiation, that's kind of what I think of. But how would you define it for me? I'd like a definition versus the picture because it's a pretty frightening picture in my head right now.
1: You know what? That picture that you've just painted, go to Google Image Search and type in Negotiator and you've almost described it. <laughs> <laughs> Eye color and, and hair color and everything. It's That is the dominant portrayal. And that's why I'm so passionate about challenging that. Um, You know, there's a lot of uh, definitions for negotiation out there, but in my eyes, all negotiation is, is a conversation aimed at reaching an agreement. So these are conversations we're having every single day. It's just often we don't see them as negotiations. You know, in my eyes, in reality, negotiation, it's something that transcends all aspects of our lives. So we negotiate at work with our direct reports, with our team, with our managers, with our colleagues and with our clients. And we also negotiate at home with our family, our children, our friends, our pets, and even ourselves. We negotiate each and every single day. And, you know, for a lot of women in particular, negotiation is a huge leap outside the comfort zone. We're very comfortable advocating for other people, but negotiating on behalf of ourselves is something that can be very challenging to to know our worth and advocate for it. So the sooner you can begin to see the everyday nature of negotiation, the sooner you can build both your confidence and competence at negotiating. And, you know, the sooner you can start to recognize it is an everyday activity it's something that you know will allow you to step out your comfort zone every single day and prime your mind to, to see the countless opportunities you have to negotiate. I, I've talked to you before this show, Mac, in terms of how I've used it in my life. And it's by no means been confined to salary negotiations. I've been able to halve the cost of my wedding. I've been able to negotiate discounts on my house and early upgrades for phones. There's all aspects of my life where I embrace negotiation. And that's just because I don't see it as one party winning and one party losing, but instead an opportunity to create value for both parties.
0: But wouldn't I mean, I'm going back to, so let's just start with price negotiation. I mean, would that assume that if you wanted to go into the store and buy a pack of gum and it was 85 cents, I mean, is that something that you would negotiate or where is the line you draw when you see like 85 cents? All right, I'll just go ahead and pay that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like that example. I'd be a very busy woman if I was. Uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. Like, at some point do you say, okay, just pay it. Cause I don't have time to, exactly. I mean, I'm just visualizing what happens, you know, like when I went to China, you go to those markets to go buy that fake headphones and whatever else they sell up there. And you never just pay what's there. You go through back and forth and eventually you reach an agreement and you still feel like you got screwed. But <laughs> I mean, at what point do you just say, okay, I, I don't have time for this.
1: I think it's a great question. I think it's a. It's a cost-benefit analysis you have to do every single time. In terms of the approach that I'd take, if I was negotiating on behalf of one of my companies um, to negotiate with another vendor, I'd obviously put a lot more time into the preparation and planning and the strategy behind the negotiation. Whereas, like you said, if I was buying a packet of gum, that's not something that's going to be worth my time negotiating, even if I got it for half the price, I've saved forty cents. <laughs> it's not worth my breath. So, I think it's it's really important. But what I would say in terms of you know these daily negotiations. They can be ones that do ultimately have a huge impact on our lives. So, if you're living with someone and, you know, at the moment, if you're taking on the vast majority of the domestic chores, that's a negotiation you can have with your partner and say, you know what? If I do the cooking and um, clean the dishes, can you do the laundry? You know, it, it shouldn't be assumed that you're taking on that whole workload. And you might actually find that, you know, there's strange worlds where some partners really enjoy ironing or, or certain domestic chores. And so, you know, if they'd rather do it themselves, so they get that exact kind of crisp um, Line on their trousers, then they can do it that way. So, you know, I think it's recognizing what's the what's the benefit and reward for you. But I, I think it's important to try and embrace it on a daily basis because negotiation it doesn't just have to be about money, and it really it's about that kind of financial transaction. It could be as much as negotiating with your child that if they do their homework, they can watch a show afterwards. It's these types of conversations that help us understand the other person and and create a solution that works for all of us. And, you know, the, the reason I kind of encourage it is thinking about what's important in your life, you know, getting an early upgrade on the phone might be really important if you can't afford to buy a brand new phone but you know you're eligible in three months time you might be able to have that phone call. Um, right now I know um, a woman that I spoke to last week um, shared how she had negotiated her car insurance and she'd generated you know several hundred dollars in discount um, simply by calling up her car insurance provider and saying you know what I've not been driving half as much as I used to and can we reduce my annual mileage and she saved i think it was 400 us um, dollars wow. and you know that's that's actually a tip i feature on my instagram account that was from money coach um, called judy at hear me finance and you know what i'm trying to say is there there are opportunities every single day and they do add up but you have to really be looking for them and you have to broaden how you think about negotiation it's it's not just limited to these huge multi-million agreements these are conversations we're having every single day that can shape our life
0: You know, I've never met you in person. We've talked a few times. You don't strike me as the kind of person that would try to negotiate with me. (laughs) Because I I have this picture in my mind. I've already given you the picture in the mind, but somebody who will always try to push the envelope, I guess for me, if I saw him coming, I'm like, oh God, this person is such a frigging pain in the ass. Let's (laughs) go somewhere else because they're going to try. Because, you know, we've had yard sales at the house and it doesn't matter. I, it, there was a stupid little candlestick my mother was selling. And I think she wanted a dime and the guy offered a nickel. I'm like, come on, man, it's 10 <laughs> cents for a thing. I don't even know why the guy wanted it. And I guess there is a mindset that would mean everything is negotiable. How do you balance this, Donna? Because you don't strike me as a person that is going to attempt to negotiate. And I guess you don't do it all the time, but yeah. I don't see that in you. But I have a picture of mine of somebody who would.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's, that, you know, that's a really great observation. I'm, I'm glad to say, I, you you know, I wouldn't be negotiating over a candlestick. But, uh,
0: well, I was wondering, you know, <laughs> we set a time for the podcast if we were going to have to negotiate that, you know, exactly,
1: but exactly. apparently not. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I think often we view negotiation as binary. And that's because that's the dominant portrayal in the media that it's you've got to go in with this hard bargaining approach, you've got to be aggressive, and you've just got to focus on the price, and you've got to drill that price down. But for me, you you know, the way I've always viewed it is it's a spectrum. It's non-binary. There's there's all different approaches. So, you know, you gave the example earlier of negotiating in the marketplace. So, you know, I traveled to Marrakesh and I was in the souks there and a huge part of the culture is negotiating. And that's something that's really rewarding as well for the market vendors. It's part of the culture. It's part of what you do. So I remember it was a, a really sweltering hot day in the middle of August and I just wanted a bottle of water. I was really thirsty, really parched. and You know, I went to a store, saw they had water, brilliant. And, uh, you know, I asked how much. And they said, I think it was the equivalent of 500 US dollars. And I, I should clarify, it wasn't a drum of water. It was literally a. Well, you
0: better drink it slow at that price, huh?
1: <laughs> exactly. It was a you know five hundred milliliters bottle. So I just you know said thank you so much, a big smile on my face because I you know I knew exactly what he was trying to do, and you know kind of walked away. And then with every step that I took, I think I've you know it was the highest amount of money I've ever earned an hour. You know, with every step I took, it went from two hundred and fifty dollars to hundred dollars, and eventually we settled on you know fifty cents. But part of the enjoyment for him was being able to you know see what he could get away with and you know I dread to think what some tourists might have paid but you know that's an example where it's not worth me saying that's outrageous what do you think you know it's it's recognizing the culture and that's part of the culture and that's you know it's it's rewarding for him to see on a daily basis he never has a fixed price so some some tourists might go all the way to you know ten dollars if they're really thirsty so you know there's situations like that where it's a bit of fun and I you know can certainly enjoy myself but The way I view those types of relationships are they are short term. I've never seen that market store vendor again. And so what you tend to find in those kind of short term one off interactions is people just focus on money like that person that came and was haggling for that um, candlestick because, you know, they're never going to see you again. So they don't really care whether they offend you or not. Whereas, you know, the way I view negotiation and where I'm emphasizing it is on the longer term relationships. So those are ones where you can't use that hard bargaining, haggling approach because it is going to disrupt the relationship. If you're wanting to build and nurture relationship with someone, you shouldn't just be focusing on price. You should be focusing on understanding their mindset, leveraging open communication and understanding what is important to them and how you can grow the relationship together. It's, it's not going to be beneficial if I'm starting a relationship and I'm just Trying to get down to the lowest price. I would even question whether that's sustainable. If I'm trying to squeeze every last drop out of a supplier or client, how is that going to be sustainable in their business? Instead, I'd much rather explore how can we support each other? What is most important to you? You know, and you gave the example of price. I've certainly been in a a business situation before where a buyer was just looking for a fixed cost. For them, having the visibility of costs was very, very important. And the incumbent supplier didn't ask what was important to the buyer. They just assumed they just must want the lowest price. And so what they did was they the contract came up for renewal and they gave a a slightly lower offer than their existing price and the buyer rejected it because it was still a variable price. Then they came in with another counteroffer, which was even lower. And they kept going lower and lower and lower just because this was getting rejected. And what had happened is there was a, a lapse in communication between the buyer who should have said, I just want a fixed cost. And, you know, I'd rather pay more, but I just need that price certainty for the next 12 months. And the seller had also fa- the seller had failed to ask, what's most important to you? Are you after a fixed cost, variable cost, lowest cost? And in the end, what happened was the buyer ended up securing a deal which was much more expensive than any. Any of the office, the, the incumbent seller had done, but they only secured it on the basis that it was a fixed cost. You know, and that's a, a situation that, that seems really counterintuitive when you hear of it. You'd think, well, surely they just both want the lowest cost, but you know, often our priorities aren't the same as the priorities of the person the other side of the table. And the more you can investigate that, the more you can ask open questions that uncover their priorities, the, the closer you are to creating a, a negotiation outcome that works for all of you. And so that's really how I view it, if it's a longer term relationship, those are the ones that I'm focused on negotiating in. Those are the ones that, again, it's it's not just about price. It's about how you can grow your organizations together, because that's where you're going to get that sustainable value.
0: Just in hearing you tell that story, you, I see you seem like you get more and more excited the more and more <laughs> you talk about it. I mean, I look at negotiation like stepping on a Lego with your bare feet. It <laughs> does not look fun to me at all, but it sounds like it's become such a part of just the way that you carry yourself, that you enjoy it. Much like the guy trying to sell you the $500 bottle of water, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'm still thinking, did I miss something? Was there something special in that water? Yeah. <laughs> <Did laughs> Exactly, what I think. Well,
0: for- we could do the same with toilet paper and hand sanitizer <laughs> these days, right? And you exactly. probably could get away with five hundred bucks for a bottle of hand sanitizer.
1: Exactly, exactly. And it's, you know, I think for me, uh, you know, I really enjoy negotiating. It's, it's outside my comfort zone. I think, as it is for many people, it's, it's asking and, and exploring that it is uncertain and that is uncomfortable for a lot of people. But it's, it's really important to recognize that you're not just taking. You can create huge value for people by negotiating. So, you know, we gave that example of that market store vendor on paper, if you read that example, you might think, well, he's going to be really unhappy. You know, he was going for $500, but he only got, you know, 50 cents for it. But if in reality, he was, you know, expecting to only get 25 cents, then he's overjoyed because he's thinking, wow, my last customer only paid 25 cents. I've doubled, you know, how much I'm selling it for. Now, I, I like to think I didn't, you know, short sell myself that much, but I think often we view negotiations, as I said, as just, you know, one winner and one loser. But, you know, in all aspects of, our life, if you approach it as a way to collaborate, if you approach it as a way to create value for both people, it can be hugely enjoyable because everyone likes to feel like they've got that bigger piece of the pie. And if you can create a relationship and nurture it where you make them feel like they've done a really good job, they've done a really good job at negotiating for themselves, they've done a really good job at negotiating for their organization.
0: Well, let me give you two scenarios that I think our audience would probably appreciate some, some help with. And so uh, one scenario is going to be salary negotiation. I think that's always a good one to talk about. I do want to talk about that. But the other one is a concern that I hear often from, from my audience, and that is trying to get themselves a seat at the table. So the table is where all the executives sit, where the decisions are made. And only a moron would not want HR at that table. Mm-hmm. But there are organizations that don't. They assume HR just plans the parties or they are the policy Nazis or something, right? But they need, especially now, as companies start figuring out how to go back to work, if you don't bring them to the table, you got a real problem. Mm-hmm. But how could my audience, the HR professional, actually win a seat at that table? Let's do that one. Then I we'll want talk about salary.
1: I think that's that's a really great question and it's you know it's recognizing as well the diversity of thought and how important that is and I you know I always think of this when I think of the you know management level and board level if that demographic of the people on the board doesn't reflect your customer base, then how are you best serving your customers? And I, I would have the same conversation about the, any type of strategic conversations. If the demographic of the people making those decisions doesn't reflect your employees, then how can you make sure that you are you know, retaining your employees, motivating your employees, and, and really tapping into the potential of your employees? So in terms of having a seat at the table, I would say, explore why you currently don't. So if, you know, have you asked to, you know, first of all, ask, have you asked to be part of those meetings? And if you do get a flat out no, then I would use open, you know, open communication, open questions to ask, how how can I get a seat at the table? Or how can I join those meetings? And you know, again, consider it from the perspective of the other person. So what would they have to gain from you being in those meetings? Now, you know, Matt, you've touched on it there. Of course, there is tremendous value that you can gain as, you know, a HR manager at being at those meetings. You're you're a voice for the people. You are closest to the action in terms of knowing what is going on in the organisation. You have your finger on the pulse. So that is your kind of counter. But try and think of it from the perspective of the other person. Why might they not want you as a having a at the table and try and make sure that when you're demonstrating your value when you're articulating this, that you're addressing any concerns or any hesitations that they might have. But I would say, you know, really frame the conversation to understanding and get them to say it's going to be uncomfortable for them, but get them to admit why they don't want you at the table or why they haven't considered it before. And then explore together how, you know, by you being at that table, you'll be able to really allow them to have a greater awareness of what's going on in the organization at a, at a human level, at a people level.
0: That's great. Well, certainly, um, definitely a good reason to be up on your skills and especially staying current with stuff as it happens today because you want to have something to offer to the table. And I guess just getting there is not good enough. You have to be able to be listened to. And I guess that's a further negotiation, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And I think, you know, one of the things I always emphasize, and again, it seems counterintuitive, but often when we think of a negotiator, like you said, you imagine someone banging their fist on the table and then being the loudest voice in the room. But what I've found is the most effective negotiators aren't the ones that speak the most or talk over other people or dominate the room. It's the ones that listen. Everyone likes to be in a conversation with someone where they're a really good listener. I think we can all name someone that we've, you know, had a conversation with that's really frustrating because they just talk and talk and talk, and you can't get a word in edgeways. But equally, many of us can name someone that's a really good listener when we've had a problem or we've, when we've had a concern. We can go to, and we know they're our first person to go to for advice. And I think that's a, you know, a really important thing. By taking the time to listen, it means that. When you do um, speak up, you can make sure that you've got this really carefully crafted and insightful piece of information, and you can you can share that insight, and it touches on all the points, all the concerns that the people have raised because you've taken the time to actively listen to their concerns. And so, when you do eventually speak, you're able to position it and and be as um, powerful as you can in the language that you use to touch on all the key areas.
0: And I guess the biggest reward would be after you left the meeting, people would say. How come you never had her come to the table before? What's the matter with you people?
1: Exactly. Right? Exactly. Good. Exactly.
0: Okay. So this next one, if you are Lisa or Rachel, these are my folks, please <laughs> stop the recording um, <laughs> because I want Donna to talk to us about salary negotiation. I don't want them getting your secrets.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So right. In terms of salary negotiation, so I'll go through this in four steps, but you know, high level, know your worth build your business case, look at the big picture and prepare and practice, practice, practice. And I'm going to talk about this from the perspective of a woman. And it's, you know, the advice still goes for for men as well, but I am going to you know share my own insight. So as women, we're not only less likely to negotiate our salary than men, but when we do, we typically ask for less than our male peers. And that's something really important to, to recognize that we're not only less likely to ask, but we ask for less. So it's important that you take time to know your worth and then go go ahead and advocate for yourself. So when I say take time to know your worth, research, look what a competitive remuneration package looks like in the marketplace. And you can collect information from so many different sources. You could go to LinkedIn or Glassdoor, Monster and Indeed to understand what a salary um, package looks like for your industry. You can leverage the expertise of recruitment consultants within your industry and you can also validate your research with your trusted network. I know we don't like talking about our salaries, but sometimes it's really important in order to have that transparency to to address some of these um, differences that we can have. Next build your business case. So we're, we're, you know, all of us are programmed to focus more on negative feedback, but we don't take time to really record our accomplishments. So it's essential that you create what I call a smile file. And this is literally a folder. It can be a, an email folder. It could be a physical folder, but it records every single bit of positive feedback you've you've received. Every time you've gone above and beyond for your organization, every extra project that you've, you've participated in, every extra um, responsibility that you've undertaken, how you've supported and helped your colleagues. By taking the time to record it, you can start to build your business case. So not only do you know your worth and you know what you should be rewarded as, but you also have that backup evidence and real tangible examples. I think for for a lot of people, we go through this process, but we do it very rushed. We do it last minute when you have a performance review and you think, goodness, let's try and consolidate what are my main achievements over the last 12 months, two days before my performance review. I want you to, you know, take the time to record those accomplishments as and when, because it's a really nice file as well. You know, I'm a big um, advocate of talking about imposter syndrome where even though you're entirely capable and worthy, you don't realize that you are. You have that self-doubt creep in. I find the smile file is so important to combating the imposter syndrome, to seeing, wow, you know, if you're if you're feeling like you're you're not quite good enough or that you're, you know, disappointed in, in, in certain aspects of how you've performed, go back to your smile file and take that objective assessment of all the feedback that other people have given you. And you can even, you know, go a step further when someone gives you positive feedback, ask them for a recommendation on LinkedIn. If they say, you know what, you did a really fantastic job today, Mac. I really enjoyed how you host that that podcast. You could come back and say, you know what, would you write a recommendation so that it could encourage future guests? It's, you know, a few minutes of my time, but it could be instrumental for you. And, you know, these are examples that I'd say, build your business case. Don't be hesitant to record the positive feedback Feedback you receive and take it a step further and and ask for recommendations. And then next, you know, going into the negotiation, look at the big picture, consider what you're trying to achieve and establish specific objectives because you can negotiate more than just your salary. And you know, this is where I'd say consider the employee's perspective. Look at your smile file in all its glory and think of it through the eyes of the employer. Of all these accomplishments, of all this feedback you've received which of them are going to have directly contributed to the strategic objectives of the organization? How have you gone above and beyond? What value have you generated? And what does your employer have to gain from giving you a pay rise? That's something really important to consider. And then, you know, my final step before I stop for air <laughs> is <laughs> prepare and then practice, practice, practice. For a lot of women, salary negotiations are a huge leap outside the comfort zone. So take time to prepare not only your proposal, but then to practice and rehearse it with trusted friends and family members. And I mean, those family members that are going to be really honest with you when they give their feedback, they're going to talk about your approach, your body language, your tone, and even your clothing. You want to make sure that you've rehearsed it and you've refined your approach and that the language you're using is as effective as it can be so instead of using ambiguous language such as you know I, I was thinking around a 5% increase you could say my proposal is 5% and here's why and go straight into your small file the you know three to five real tangible examples you have of how you've generated value for the organization and you know most importantly above anything else have that backup plan if they If they say no, what is your next move and practice for that worst case scenario? So if they say, you know, unfortunately, we can only give you 3%, you could come back and say, you know, I understand, but let's revisit this in the coming months. I'll send a meeting for us to revisit this, these terms in three months time. It's important that you've got to keep your tone collaborative, not confrontational, and always, always end the conversation positively.
0: Man, those are awesome steps. Um,
1: thank you <laughs>
0: this so donna it sounds like most people are afraid to do this but now i hope that they realize they should do it the big question is can you teach them how to do this
1: absolutely for, you know for me in terms of negotiation one of the biggest barriers that women and, and people generally face in terms of negotiation is just having the confidence to negotiate in the first place. And so, you know, with my workshops, one thing I really focus on is really breaking down the barriers of why we don't see ourselves as negotiators. How how do we even define negotiation? And like you touched on earlier, Mac, that image that springs to mind when we think of a negotiator, it's so important that we take time to to reflect on that internal bias and recognise that if that's the only image that we have of a negotiator, thankfully, none of us will ever, you know, fit that image. And it's important to really broaden how we think about it and recognise how in your life can you use negotiation. So drawing upon examples of how as a mother can you negotiate with your children? How as a wife or a partner can you negotiate um, with your husband or wife or your other partner? How as a leader can you negotiate with the other managers in your organisation? By taking the time to really think about how in your life you could use negotiation, you immediately have that instinct. And then you can start to strategize your approach. So for in, in my eyes, it's something it's an in innate negotiation ability that we have. But it, it's something that you have to really invest the time and effort to build that confidence up and then also building your competence, making sure that you're using the most effective language, making sure that you're positioning yourself as effectively as possible. And again, you know, exploring the psychology behind negotiation, recognising the dangers of the ego in the negotiation, recognising how is your approach um, how? what's your default negotiation approach? And is that the most um, effective one for the scenario? Like we touched on earlier, a hard bargaining approach is going to be disastrous if you're trying to use that in a long-term sustainable relationship, because if you're just focusing on price, you're leaving so much more value on the table that otherwise, unless you're asking open questions, you're not going to uncover.
0: Wow, this is great. Well, I understand that launch negotiation provides training on how to do this and you're even able to do this now virtually right
1: we are exactly so a recent pivot we've done this year is all our workshops are available virtually which is fantastic except you know i don't have half as many air miles as i used to have
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know when those are coming back so you might have to just sort of settle in that you know your chair in your home office is going to be the the airplane seat for a while huh
1: Exactly. But the, you know, the beauty behind it is I found that now my workshops, it's a global reach. So traditionally, I've been very much focused on Europe, but now it's you know across North America. And when I'm running these workshops, I have people from all around the world joining them. And I've been able to connect with organizations from all around the world. And that really enriches the cultural experience as well, because there's certain cultures where you're even more so than in the Western culture, deterred from negotiating. So it's really important um, that people have that exposure and can recognize, okay, if this is how um, a member of my team has been conditioned or a of how they think of negotiation, how can I empower them? How can I make sure that they see themselves that way? And how can I help empower them to negotiate on behalf of the organization?
0: Well, last question I have, how can we find you, Donna? How can we sign up for your workshops? Because if you've been listening to this today, I think you got a pretty good business case for using this technique, but the skill is something you're going to have to learn. So Donna, how do we sign up for your programs?
1: Well, thank you very much, Mac. Well, head to launchnegotiation.com, and you can also feel free to reach out to me, Donna, at launchnegotiation.com. Um, on the website, we've got a number of different resources there as well. There's an article that I recently published with Talent Management Platform, TLNT, and that's talk talks about how to tap into your organization's negotiation potential. And that really explores the crux of what our courses are offering in terms of making sure you're not just seeing negotiation as a skill set that's confined to sales roles or procurement roles. It's something that happens every single day in your organization, in every single department. And it's important that you recognize that so that you can tap into your innate organizational negotiation potential.
0: Well, Donna, I am grateful that uh, for one, we got introduced, but secondly, that you were able to give up some time to be on the show this morning. I think it's a powerful message. And if you're listening today, definitely check out Donna's site. It's launchnegotiation.com. I would love for you to sign up for her programs because I think this is a valuable skill, not only for you, but for you to teach as a leader and maybe as a parent. So Donna, thank you so much for coming on the show this morning.
1: Thank you so much, Mac. It's been an honor.
0: Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role in struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review positive of course it really helps us out so with that take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever